Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. They've been out there doing this, trying to spread the message and put a stop to this. It's not like I came along and I discovered the story. It's just no one was listening. This is Lorna Tucker. She's a filmmaker and storyteller, though it's taken her some time to become comfortable with that description. I didn't go to film school. <laughs> I didn't go to school. I didn't go to college. Um, I did go to art school for a year um, when I kind of was a teenager. And... I've always been interested in storytelling. I've always Maybe better put, she's a story collector. I'm the most annoying person to invite to a dinner because I'll be sitting next to someone and I'll be wanting to find out where they were from, how their parents met, what led them on the path that, that brought them there. I'm Maeve McLennigan. This is The Tip-Off. This is a story about connections, about women finally speaking their truths to a world that might just be ready to listen. But it starts in a rather unusual place. A rock concert. I was doing photography for bands. I had been asked to take photos and film at the Royal Albert Hall, the band The Cult. Years ago, Lorna had been trying to make a film about human rights abuses in Nepal. She'd been out to the country and had some powerful still images, but she couldn't get a backing to make a film. So backstage at this concert, in the Royal Albert Hall, she was showing the photograph she'd taken to Ian Astbury, lead singer of the gothic rock band The Cult. Ian Astbury, I was showing him pictures of the Nepalese women and what I was doing. And he was like, you need to read this book. (laughs) I've read this book called Conquest by Andrea Smith. And it's about the attack on indigenous women's reproductive health and the shame surrounding communities about the enforced sterilization of the rape due to the Oliphant case that are leading, leaving native women susceptible. There was a whole load of things. And he, gave, he just literally there and then gave me this book that he had picked up in some arty shop. You know, it wasn't a mass published book. It was like a, almost like a self-published book he'd picked up. So Lorna left the gig that night clutching the book not knowing then how it would change her life. I remember reading it and 
you know, I have dyslexia and I find reading very hard and I, I always find it very hard getting a voice across. And, and I, again, that used to be something that held me back and I used to feel I was stupid and I, how am I going to figure this out? And always trying to use other people's voices to tell stories because it, I felt like I had this barrier, my own barrier. And I remember reading it, though, and getting it and being so angry that I was traveling through America all the time. And not only did I not know anything about Native American, the real Native American history, I didn't know anything about what was going on in that day. And I felt like I was a fairly traveled person. And I spoke to people in America, Americans, that also had no idea. The book documented stories from Native American women who had been forcibly sterilized in the USA. She knew then that this was the story she wanted to help tell. So first of all, I was shocked that, you know, what we are taught in Europe and in America is that Native Americans were magical creatures that lived hundreds of years ago and danced around totem poles when the reality was they're people that have suffered consistently, continuously human rights abuses and are still fighting for basic human rights. Um, it was just kind of mind-blowing, but it was the, the sensitive nature of the women that were talking in this book about how the shame made them feel and, and why nothing was being done because we're victims weren't coming forwards because of the shame. And OK, and, you know, I, she had an idea, the inkling of a story to tell. But what next? At the time when I was reading this book, I could, although I'm white <laughs> and I'm from England and I am privileged and protected to be that, I felt such a responsibility because on a human level, I understood the shame and I understood the pain and what I really wanted to do was speak to some of these women and I never set out going I'm going to make a feature film of this I'm going to spend 10 years of my life trying to make people care about this what I did was go I'm going to document women talking about this I want to find out how this happened I want to know why no one's talking about this and and that started a journey Lorna read the book she'd been given cover to cover and that started her out on the trail. She searched online and read everything she could on the subject of forced sterilisation. I had to use everything and, you know, instinct. I, I didn't go to school. I didn't study journalism. I'm not a journalist. And one name kept coming up. I'd found her name in this book and then I'd found this amnesty report, The Maze of Injustice, which was exposing these abuses. And her na this name, Sharon Esatoya, Sharon Esatoya, kept popping up on all these investigations from the 70s. You know, when you're like going over reports that have been written over 30 years and this one name kept popping up and it was her name. So I Googled her and I found that she was running a women's centre on the Yankton Sioux Reservation and I rang up and they never got back to me. I emailed, I emailed, never got back to me. Finally, I said, look, I'm coming through your area with a friend of mine and I'd like to meet up with you. And I got a response from Sharon saying, OK, all right, you can come here, but I'm not going to open up my address book to you and I'm not going to introduce you to victims. You know, we have white people coming on reservation all the time trying to save us. You know, we have people all the time coming to tell a story, making a film about us and our struggles, and they don't even tell us when the film's coming out. They disappear without a trace. We have been used, we have been lied to, so don't expect anything from me. And I totally got it. I was like, that's fine. I just want to talk to you because I really need to find, is this real? Did this happen? And is it still happening? Lorna knew what she had to do. She had to get out there and meet Sharon. Ian Astley, the musician that had given her the book in the first place, put up the money to start the investigation rolling. 
He'd later be credited as an executive producer on the film. And so Lorna packed up her camera and bought airline tickets. She was heading to South Dakota. Sat in her office on the Yankton Sioux Reservation, Sharon told Lorna what Native American women had been put through. In Dakota, the word for children is wakaija, which means they too are sacred. So that tells you how we look at our children and perceive them, you know, and understand them to be sacred beings. Some of the long-term effects of the sterilization campaign are really devastating. A lot of women felt guilt, a feeling of uh, being useless, of not being worthy, of being, um, uh, let, she's let her community down, she's let her family down. Um, she doesn't have children or she has one uh, when she wanted more. That really has a very huge residual effect. It's like when you throw a rock into a, into a pond and you see the, the wave just ripple out because a woman is, is very important. We're uh, sacred. Life comes through us. Um, we're the head of our families. And so when that's stripped from a woman, it, it has a huge effect on her. And we saw increase in alcoholism. It was so uh, much to so take in. But Lorna couldn't stay there long. As she flew back to the UK, her head buzzed with questions. She wanted to know more. So over the coming months, she kept calling Sharon. So we continued talking and I would, I, you know, I came back to England. I got a, a job in an old people's home. I was working in a bar. I had a daughter. You know, I had a four-year-old daughter. And I was a single mum. And we just continued talking and she would feed me information of the, the current things she was fighting for policies. And, and when she went to the White House to get the Tribal Law and Order Act to put in with Obama. And little by little, Sharon helped Lorna find women that had undergone forcible sterilisation. Women who had gone to the doctor and had been pressured or tricked into procedures that would make them forever infertile. How so, had you made contact with those victims? Sorry, was that through Sharon or was that...? It was through me going around and talking to people, speaking to people in different communities, friends of Sharon's that would put the word out and, you know, eventually they would say, look, my friend might speak to you. So it was a very, very slow process. But Lorna was facing a challenge as a filmmaker. She was hearing more and more about these abuses, but nobody wanted to go on camera to talk about it. They all felt so ashamed. They were scared their family would find out. Because of the culture of, of a wealth is not as us Western people see it. It is in your family. It is how, you know, how many children you have. It's, so, you know, the shame felt by the victims, they were so scared. And also they were scared of repercussions on them and the family. But finally, finally, Lorna met one woman who would talk. A woman who had become the central voice in her film the extraordinary Jean Whitehorse. When I got pregnant was Rolanda, an appointment was made for me, and the first question I was asked was, how are you going to pay for your medical care, having your baby here, do you have insurance, do you have money? I said no. At that appointment, I was taken into the office and they said, sign this piece of paper. I said, I can read, but I don't understand what it's saying. 
can you explain that to me? And she said, well, you have no money to pay for your medical care. You have no money to pay for your delivery. So if you sign this piece of paper, once you have your, your baby, it will be given up for adoption. Whoever adopts your baby will pay your medical bill. So I said, no. So I never went back. I walked out of there. But even getting Jean on board was hard work. When I met her again, you know, she didn't want to talk to me. She didn't want me coming into her community. She didn't want to open up. She felt ashamed and humiliated. But she, there was something so special about her because she was really fighting for her community too. And again, I had to pretend I was in her area for even to meet with me. And I said, there'll be no cameras. I'll be in, you know, I'll be in New Mexico in a few weeks time. Will you just meet and have a coffee? And she was like, okay. No cameras, but I'll meet and have a coffee. And I was like, oh, crap, how am I going to raise the money to go to New Mexico? <laughs> so I was like, yeah, well, I'll be in your area. And then I had to borrow some money. A production company, Bedlam Productions, came on board and helped out with some money so I could get on two planes, a train and a, and a, a taxi to be in her area. As soon as Lorna sat down with Jean, she knew she was special. And I met with her and her laugh just... It hit something in me of her pride and her strength and listening to her story from childhood and her grandmother surviving the genocide on on the longest walk and then also her boarding school experience and you know everything we go on a journey with in the film and I just was like just said to her please let me document your story because Women are dying of old age, of alcoholism, taking this to their graves. And we need to try and stop this from happening again, or at the very least to educate a younger generation to know if they have these methods of coercion pushed on them, they can say no, break this silence. And she said, well, no, I'm not ready. So we continued a friendship. I went out and filmed her. She let me come out and film her just around the following year. After that, she said, "Okay, but if I trust you on this, you have to be honest. This has to be native led. We have to feed into this. And I was like, absolutely, this this is your story. So that's when it really started beginning. A lot of time when the doctor examined me, they said, oh, do you have a C-section? I said, no. I said, I went in for appendix infection. They said, that's not where it is. I said, yes. I said, but I was sterilized. And did they tell you afterwards? They didn't tell me nothing for about a year close. Then I was thinking, oh, I, I want to have another baby. But for some reason, you know, it wasn't happening. So I was given another appointment. And just to find out that that's what they did to me. And I said, what's that? What sterilization? You're never going to have children again. But Lorna was making this film as and when she could, scraping together funding and flying out whenever she could afford to. It was a long and laborious process. You know, I could only go out sometimes once every other year. And, you know, the women say, God, we just didn't think you were ever going to finish it. You know, we wouldn't hear from you for two years and then we'd see you twice in one year and then we wouldn't hear from you for three years. <laughs> and it, was, it literally was when I could beg, borrow and steal. Until three years ago, the Roddick Foundation saw an assemble I'd put together of the footage I'd shot and they said, this is a feature film, this film needs to get made and we are going to support you. Um, they sent it to, uh, at the time, a new production company, Rain Dog Films, which had been started by Colin Firth and Jed Doherty. 
And Jed Doherty in the last three, four years has become one of the most inspirational men I've ever had a chance to work with. He has had faith in me and trusted the story. They raised money so we could go out with a cinematographer and film things properly, you know, and, and connect the investigation and bring people together. And, you know, in the face of it, this was all pre-Me Too when this was happening. And they found an incredible editor, Claire Ferguson, who came on board. So I've always had this nervousness fueled by passion to tell this story, but also understanding that it's not like Spider-Man, which comes with great power, comes with great responsibility, but it's that it really is that I have such a responsibility to make sure this is told in the way that the women want it to be told. Instead of me coming in and going, this is a story, I'm going to tell it like this and I want it to be like that. It's like, no, it's been native driven from the start. Even when we were editing, I would send it to Sharon and Jean and, and say, you know, I need you to know if this is okay and if you don't feel that this is being driven right. And they were great because they'd come back going, oh, you've missed this policy and that's one that's really screwing us up. You know, and they really, it was, it was just about making sure I handled this with the most utmost respect. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection. Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Slowly Very slowly, women were starting to talk to Lorna. And in doing so, they were beginning to talk at all. And there was one moment when Lorna realised that she knew more about Jean's best friend, Yvonne, than even Jean did. That was when I was filming her, speaking about that afterwards, I went up to her and I said, wow, okay, lovely to meet you, Yvonne, I'm Lorna, I'm working with Jean. She was like, oh, what are you talking about? And I told her about the film and she said, that happened to me and my sisters and she broke down. And I said, can I record your testimony? And she said, yeah, but I'm going, you have to come now. <laughs> this was it. Okay, so we went to her hotel room and filmed her testimony. And then when I came back to see Jean the following year, I kind of just assumed it had happened. She knew it happened to her friend, but I wanted to get it on camera, her saying, oh yes, you know, yes, it happened to her and my other friends. I didn't expect Jean to turn around and say, no, because these women have toured together. 
They've spoke together. They've worked on campaigns together. So when Jean says that on camera, I'm I am real in shock. And that's when the penny dropped of, oh, my God, how many people, you know, how many people is this happening to? This is why people are not talking. They're isolated. You know, they're shamed. These guys were friends for 25 years and they never told each other, best friends, that they had been sterilised because they were so shamed. And then to find out Yvonne's aunties had been, all been sterilised and their sisters and you start realising how far-reaching this was. But none of them have, had come forward because of the shame. And, and that's when I realised the gravitas of how big the story was and how important it was that we try to find a way for the world to bear witness to this and to come up with their own conclusions. Lorna had so many questions. How could this have been going on? She started researching US government policy from the 60s and 70s and found a drive aimed supposedly at eradicating poverty by any means. Here's Lyndon Boyd Johnson speaking at the time. Poverty is a national problem requiring improved national organisation and support. But how do you eradicate policy? particularly when the population just keeps growing. Well, there was one doctor who played an important role in coming up with a policy to address just that, a Dr. Reinhardt Ravenholt. Lorna kept finding his name again and again in all the things she was reading. Dr. Ravenholt worked on a policy of family planning that would help control population size of the poorest of families. And somehow, over time, that had morphed into a worryingly systematic practice of pressuring or forcing native women into sterilisation treatment, often a procedure called tubal ligation. And I devised the, the formula for understanding that is resources divided by population equals the human condition. I knew that from personal experience. <laughs> you got a family with nine children instead of two children. You're a lot poorer than... Then you would if they were just two children. Lorna knew she wanted to talk to Dr. Ravenholt, and she managed to track down his address. You know, I reached out and reached out and, and didn't hear anything back. And then I heard that, you know, journalists for the last 30 years have been trying to reach out from him and he would not speak to anyone. So I just went about it in the only way that I knew is I, I turned up on his doorstep. Standing there on the doorstep, about to knock, Lorna was nervous. I think from lack of sleep with the children and maybe from my past, I think I've definitely damaged some brain cells. Like, obviously, I get anxious, but I get more nervous when I feel like I have, I'm representing the women in the film more so than the cheek that I have in making stuff happen. It was only when I arrived at the doorstep, I was like, God, I'm crazy. What am I doing? I'm pregnant and I'm hiding the fact that I'm pregnant and I'm standing on a doorstep of a complete stranger in a really posh neighbourhood. What am I doing? It was like more that. And then he answered the door and it was like, because the thing about me, I am, and the way that I learn information, I can't read and learn and, 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 you know, process it that way. I'd never make an actor because I'd never be able to learn lines, but I can react because I've been in pretty much any situation. I've done pretty much anything you could mention I've done in my life. And having used that feeling negative about that, it's, it's become my strength is kind of just reacting in the most normal way possible. So, you know, instead of feeling like I need to impress someone or, you know, or I need to say this and I need to say that and this is what my spill's going to be, it's just like, hey, <laughs> hi, I'm Lorna. 
and it it's worked and it works and it it takes all that out but yeah i've i've had so many people say to me whenever i do anything or interviews like you must say this and open with this i'm like i won't remember that <laughs> i'm just barely keeping my crap together i haven't slept in 17 years <laughs> just like let me just figure out what happens and fingers crossed you know we'll we will get there and i think that's what was going through my head was just being like i just need to hopefully empathize with him and to him to like me so we can have a conversation on camera and that will lead to whatever we find out. Progress is muddy and doesn't really move the way you'd like it to move. Sharon had got me thinking about the unintended consequences of Dr. Ravenholt's war on poverty. Well, yeah, I don't have to worry that I did something... Because uh, indeed, uh, during my years, we obligated about one and a half billion dollars, and we never had a, even a, a any thought of any mis be, misapplication or behavior. Indeed, we were always firmly of a mind that what we were offering was improved freedom decision-making freedom for a woman. Does she want to be pregnant or doesn't she? Can she afford to have more children or can't she? And sometimes in uh, these areas, uh, uh, I actually got a real thrill out of seeing what could be accomplished. The thing that struck me is that he was a decent guy who really believed he was doing well. But when, as I filmed him, I would just let him talk. I wasn't going to... It's not my job to judge him or attack him. But I realised it's, it's very... It was a whole different mentality. It was a very much like a boys' club, listening to them talking about numbers and devising formulas to reduce the populations and could women choose if they came from poverty, but him coming from a big family and having lots of children. And I just sat there like... A, I felt stupid. I was like... God, you know, like this is like a, these clubs in America you hear and in England around the world that you hear about, they really think they're doing right. <laughs> they really think they're doing the right thing and this is proud. And actually, they're so far removed from the communities they're supposed to be helping that they should not be the people making these decisions and, and working to cure the epidemic of, of population. That's not how it works. It's... Um, I just found it quite shocking. So I filmed with him and I came back and then I remember looking, watching the footage back in the hotel room, just going, oh, crap, I was so engrossed by what he was saying. It's all out of focus. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I, you know, I, just, I wasn't a camera operator, but I couldn't afford camera operators. This was all kind of like self-funded and borrowing money at this point. But I kept in touch with him because, you know, I... I wasn't angry, I didn't agree with what he was saying, but I think it's always good, isn't it, to just keep a, a broad perspective if you're trying to tell a story and not burn your bridges as well, because you never know when you need to film more. And there was another Dr Lorna wanted to find, this time a man who had dedicated his life to helping reverse forced sterilisation procedures. So then I googled any doctors that were speaking out against sterilisation abuses in the 70s and 80s, and that's when I found Bernard Rosenfeld's name, and you know, read a lot about him. He had given testimony time. So I reached out and he was like, absolutely, come and come and see. You know, I'd love to meet you. And 
He just won me over to, in fact, my son that I had shortly afterwards, I called Buddy after Bernard Rosenfeld because he was one of the most awesome dudes I've ever met. He was like this old California stoner type dude who showed me through all his research, but also a lot of the documents he'd taken from the time that he, and the court case where they tried to silence him and have him done for medical malpractice because he gave files to the victims who didn't know they were sterilized. And, you know, that was apparently breaking this confidentiality between doctors. And, you know, they, they gave him a rough time. And I just remember sitting there with my jaw on the floor, you know, and he went and retrained to, to reverse sterilization procedures, you know, and he just, he was awesome. When I was doing my internship in obstetrics, I really saw what I thought were really unethical practices of doctors talking women into uh, sterilization surgery. My first day at the hospital, uh, somebody showed me a big book where they signed up women for tubal ligations. And he looked at us, um, we knew interns, and said, I want you to ask every one of these girls if they want their tubes tied. Uh, remember, each one that you get to get their tubes tied means some two tubes for some internal residents. In other words, we got to do the surgery. And then he said, and less work, less work for some son of a bitch next year. So I asked them later, just real innocently, I said, you know, I said, why did you say that? He said, well, if we're going to pay for them, we're going to control them. Hearing from the doctors was powerful. But Lorna knew that the person at the centre of this story... At the heart of the whole film was, and only could be, Jean Whitehorse. The footage of her sitting with the blue background in her house, that was the day that I fell in love with Jean. You know, I'd, I'd liked her and I was, she had laughter and I was like, this is the woman to take us on this journey because sadly she suffered everything that we need to talk about. The day when she opened up about everything on camera was that interview, that was the first time tears rolling down my face but with her grace and dignity so that interview in the film when she explains how this happened and she explains about the boarding schools and the children that was the day I was like I can never walk away from this it's not me as a filmmaker anymore this is a vehicle that until these women get justice and until this story is out there none of us can give up on this it's not whether it takes 10 years or 20 years or 30 years dude these women have been fighting this forever you know 300 years and since finishing the film more and more has come out about what indigenous women have suffered like i said you know it's been what's been really amazing is that you know four weeks ago it it went into the press that there's a canadian class action lawsuit there's an incredible first nations lawyer called Alyssa lombard who has found women up until this year are still being coerced in Canada into sterilization practices, being told that their children will be taken off them if they don't agree to it, that they won't be performing this emergency caesarean unless they sign these forms. It is still happening. It's not historical. And since that case broke, so this is like weeks before we're about to release Armour, we then find out that hundreds of North American victims are coming forwards up until this year saying the same story. In the end, Lorna heard that of the 100 to the 150,000 Native American women of childbearing age during that period, 
anywhere between three and a half to 70,000 of them were involuntarily sterilised through tubal ligation or hysterectomies. The numbers can't be accurately known because there weren't good records kept, but 70,000 women? It was shocking. This film had been a huge undertaking and a massive part of Lorna's life for a long time. When you're so part of a story and it's been such an emotional journey, like I had a marriage and a divorce while I was making this film. I went on to meet another partner and have two amazing children. I was filming when I was pregnant. I was filming with newborn babies. Like this has been my life for 10 years. And it was great to work with people then that came in with a fresh view on things and and helped me to, to get the right story down. And then that was finished in the summer this year. Now Lorna's running a Kickstarter campaign to try and raise funds to get the story out further. We're going to have a Kickstarter campaign launching, which will be raising money to hold free screenings throughout the Americas in all Native communities, community centres, colleges, teaching hospitals, to break the silence for all the victims this happened to, the people that think that it might have happened to them, that they're not alone... The research took years and was a total labour of love, but the result was a fantastic documentary called Ama, which is the Navajo word for mother. Alongside the release of the film, Lorna is helping with a petition to ask the Senate Committee of Indian Affairs to introduce a bill calling for a public apology to the individuals and their tribal nations. You can find out more about that, the Kickstarter, and where to see the film at amamovie.com. That's all for this episode of The Tip-Off. I'm Maeve McLennigan, and this episode was edited by the wonderful Chica Ayres. Our theme music is by Dice Muse. Stay tuned for more stories behind the headlines. The Tip-Off is brought to you in association with the Bureau of Investigative Journalism and funding from Charities Aid Foundation. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. <laughs> 